0: Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandeville disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. This is CBC Radio.
2: From coast to coast through the CBC Radio Network and around the world on shortwave, this is As It Happens. Good
3: evening, this is As It Happens.
2: As It Happens.
3: This is As It, Happens. As it Happened. This is As It Happens. As it Happened. Hello. This is As It Happens. Hello, I'm Neil Kirksall.
2: And I'm Chris Howden. This is As It Happened, the January edition.
3: Majestic, vast, long, beloved. There are loads of ways to describe the history of our show and the treasure that is our As It Happens archive, which we mine regularly, you'll know, throughout the season for you.
2: Long, definitely. (laughs) Um, Now we bring you a new As It Happened podcast in this feed in which we revisit some of the most surprising and fascinating conversations from the past month and dust off a few gems from our archives.
3: January was pretty juicy here at As It Happens, and our cup overflowed with conversations With people who really go above and beyond, including, one of my favorites, a woman who always hits the high notes.
2: And a mouse on its high horse, (laughs) talking about the benevolent, but also probably kind of judgy mouse that gave a Welsh man a helping hand with his shed, which it, the mouse, clearly felt (laughs) needed tidying.
3: But first, Ginny went Martian in, but now the brave little trailblazer's work in space has come to an end. Those stories and more coming up for you on this January edition of the As It Happened podcast.
2: When the Perseverance rover was sent to drive around on the red planet as part of NASA's Mars mission, not much was expected of the pint-sized helicopter attached to the rover named Ingenuity. The solar-powered autonomous helicopter landed on Mars in 2021. It was only designed to survive for 30 days and perform a few missions, but Ingenuity far exceeded expectations and stuck it out for nearly three years, flying a total of 72 missions, before its run on Mars finally came to an end in January. Canadian scientist Farah Alibe is a systems engineer with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and part of the team that created Ingenuity. Here she is talking to Neil about the little helicopter that could.
3: Farah, were you ready to say goodbye to Ingenuity? I mean, are we ever ready
0: to say goodbye? Um, I think, you know, we sort of um, were preparing ourselves for the eventuality of of the mission ending, of course. Um, But, you know, like anything, it's always emotional when when a mission ends. There's always a little bit of a grieving period that happens. We really do get attached to our robots. Yeah,
3: what you just said there, but also what you posted on social media after the news broke, you wrote, quote, rest well, little one, and thanks for all the adventures, end quote. I mean, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's also quite personal. And I hear that in your voice now, like you're talking about an old friend.
0: Yeah, it's surprising, right? Because you think, well, you know, these are robots. But the reality is that these missions, they're people, it's a collection of people. What that robot represents, it's adventurers, it's people that dared to do something different, that came together, that worked insane hours to, to do to, you know, to do this thing. You have to remember also that ingenuity was launched and those first few flights were in the depth of the pandemic. So we were dealing with sort of this chaotic world, and we had to sort of focus on trying to make history at the same time. Um, so I think for us, uh, this this little Ingenuity, or we like to call her Ginny, um, she represents so much more than than what she's done, right? She's repre- she represents human achievement um, and the team that came together to make that
3: happen. If we go back in time to that first flight in 2021, It was the middle of the night when you and your colleagues first got images of Ingenuity's first flight on Mars. What was it like in the lab in Pasadena that night?
0: Oh, my gosh, it was incredible. So I remember we knew that the images were supposed to come in, you know, around one or two a.m. I don't think that any of us had slept. Um, I came in early and I'm never early to work, but I came in early. <laughs> That's good to know. I'm That's uh, not, I'm not early. the most punctual person. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, and I got there thinking I was going to be alone and half the team was already there, kind of nervous and hadn't slept. And um, and I remember, you know, we you've probably seen the videos where we're all in a room together waiting for that data to come down. And the first thing that we saw was the data from the altimeter. The altimeter is what gives you the height of the helicopter throughout its flight, right? So it just measures the height from the ground. And you saw this perfect plot that looked almost like a top hat, which showed like, oh, we went up, we stayed up, and then we came back down. And then we saw the the picture of the shadow of the, um, of the helicopter. And I, I remember looking at it and thinking, Whoa, what did we just do? <laughs> it, it was such of this incredible moment, but it took, I want to say months or even years for it to really sink in, right? The, um, the impact of what we did. I think in the moment we were just incredulous of like, whoa, we just did that. And then, in the months and years after that, as we were flying more, as people were recognizing what we were doing, as people got interested in the mission, I think that's when I really realized that, like, this this was something special that we did. I mean, we call it our Wright Brothers moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's the moment that humanity took flight on another planet. And that's quite extraordinary.
2: That was Farah Bey, a systems engineer with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, speaking to Neil in January 2024. While Ginny was achieving greatness for us humans on Mars, humans were achieving greatness here on Earth. In January, when a severe winter storm hit parts of the United States, hundreds of people came together in the bitter cold to dig each other out. And among those in need of shovels were the Buffalo Bills, who needed help clearing out their stadium before their big NFL playoff game that weekend. Eric Shields was one of the Buffalo residents who stepped up, And his sacrifice was especially great because he is not even a Bills fan.
3: When did you get word, though, over the weekend that the Bills needed help out at Highmark Stadium?
4: So uh, I want to say it was maybe mid-afternoon, Saturday morning. um, The janitorial company contracted through Highmark Stadium, sent down an ad via social media. And I've been there before. When I was 16, I did it, so I wanted to jump to the occasion.
3: This is not even the first time you've done this?
4: No. (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely not. I do it as, as much as I can. <laughs>
3: this is a huge stadium, big corporation, oh, I, lucrative team. Why do they need your help?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I asked myself the same question. I mean, I, I don't even think they know that I'm a Patriots fan. but um,
3: <laughs> well, they should. You know, it shouldn't matter. You did a lot of work for them.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think they could take as much help as they can get. And uh, I mean, they pay pretty good. It was $20 an hour. So okay. free food also. So I mean, we'll take it.
3: Okay, good. What was the food?
4: Uh, So we had uh, Chicken Fingers, which are relatively expensive. Yeah, 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 well, they're relatively expensive at the game. So, I mean, (laughs) it's a perk if you get them for free. Absolutely. Yeah, free food,
3: $20 an hour. There was a travel ban in place. Snow in in Buffalo. Did you defy that to get to
4: the stadium? I did, yep. Uh, So, I mean, I, I spoke on it before. I mean, it's... Buffalonians and you know, always, for the most part, we know how to drive. We got some pretty good driving skills. So if we got to get to where we got to go, we, there's not much that'll stop us.
3: <laughs> yeah, you. I hear. I hear your baby there. You have your hands full there too.
4: Yeah, yeah. That's my little man. <laughs> how old? Uh he's seven.
3: Patriots fan
4: already? Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and the wife are kind of button on that oh. she, she's a bills fan
3: <laughs> what a household well maybe he just oh, let yeah. him figure it out for himself that's it yep. so you drive carefully i hope to get to the stadium on the weekend what did it look like when you got there
4: so uh on the way there it wasn't really too bad but mm-hmm. once we get there into the parking lot i mean i was there for maybe 10 minutes i got out of the car and it was just a whiteout condition you couldn't see five feet in front of you
3: did you regret making that decision to go or were you happy to be there
4: absolutely not i mean i woke up in the morning i chugged down a monster energy drink and i was ready for the day
3: (laughs) is that what was keeping you warm
4: because uh, my producer katie showed me a photo you're just wearing uh, like a polar fleece yep yep no i just threw down some monster energy drinks they had hot chocolate in the in the cafeteria there so (laughs) once once i got in threw a couple of those down and went to work (laughs) how long were you out there uh, so I got there at 7 in the morning. I think we hit the field around 7.30, 7.45, and I, I think I it was just pulling out about 4.30.
3: How did you leave things when you left in the, in the afternoon?
4: No matter the amount of shoveling that we did, I mean, we would shovel by sections, and by the time we got to the next section, we would look over at the, shovel, the section that we had just shoveled, and it was already covered. So, I mean, all of our work was for naught, but... <laughs> <laughs>
2: That was Eric Shields speaking to Neil in January about shoveling snow for the Buffalo Bills. As you heard, Mr. Shields was only wearing a fleece outside in the January chill, unbothered by the cold because of the monster energy drink that he had downed. Obviously we cannot endorse that as a way of dealing with severe cold or dealing with anything at all for that matter, but we can endorse the service that Colin McIntyre provided, which was called the Long John index. Every day, Mr. McIntyre provided the selfless service of carefully calculating how many layers of long johns you would need to put on, depending on where you were in Canada. From our archives, here's former As It Happens host, Carol Off, speaking to Colin McIntyre in 2011.
3: How does the Long John Index Service of Canada work?
1: <laughs> um, it works. Uh, basically, what uh, what happens is... Uh, uh, generally, in the in the morning when it gets to be in the in the pitch of winter, uh, every morning we'll we'll put out a, a little a Canada-wide forecast and we'll look at all the the daily temperatures across the country and we'll assign a long john index rating for every city or all every major city and some of the other cities in, in Canada. We'll put it out over over the blog and over Twitter and on Facebook.
3: And tell us the the categories.
1: Uh, well, the, the, the long john index scale has five categories. Uh, it starts at the zero point. Um, so a long, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in a city that has a long john index of one, we call that low or uh, also wimpy. Uh, and it's a, So it's a temperature of, of zero to minus 10. So that means you probably shouldn't need long johns unless you're going to be out all outside all day or unless you're from the West Coast where you're not quite <laughs> used to cold weather. Then you then probably need them. Uh, That's the wimpy in- part, is it? Yeah, that that would be the that, that, that's, a, that's an Alberta shot at people on the West Coast because they don't they don't put up with the, with the same temperatures that we do. Um, a longitude index of two is moderate, uh, and that's a and that's still a, a temperature between uh, zero and minus ten Celsius. But it's also when they throw in that wind chill. So when you when you get those days where you where you turn on the radio and you hear the weather person say, "Oh, it's only minus 7, but with the wind chill, it's minus forty nine. Those sort of days. Uh, a long john index of three is what we like to call high and that's minus 10 to minus 20 uh so that's so you are gonna be outside for more than maybe an hour should probably put on the long johns is when you get that nice uh nice burning sensation in your thighs with the wind howling and then the cold weather long john index of four is what we call high that's minus 20 to minus 30 um so if you're gonna be outside for more than 15 minutes definitely please put on some long johns you will probably need them and at minus 30 and colder we call that bleepin nuts stay inside put on your long johns just curl up with a book in a blanket put the long johns on the kids and on the cat and don't even bother going outside wait till it warms up
3: now you know that women don't yes. wear long johns generally and in fact they wear pantyhose yes. in january in the coldest temperatures so yes. you have nothing in your index for <laughs> when they should give up on that and perhaps put on something else
1: not, not as of yet. But I, I I have actually received some some tweets uh, before from people saying, "Hey, I don't have long johns. I have tights. I have leggings. I have pantyhose. Does that still work?" Uh, yeah, if that was, if that's what works for you, if you find that works, that what keeps you warm, by all means. I think I think you can probably just take you know take the long johns, replace it with whatever you want to use, and you should be you should be fine.
2: That was Carol speaking to Colin McIntyre in 2011. You're listening to As It Happened, the January edition, a monthly podcast where we look and listen back at the month that was.
1: Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
2: On As It Happens, we often ask our guests to go above and beyond for the sake of you, the listener. Like the time we asked Julie Ostro to perform the laughs that won her the first ever American Laughing Championship while on an airplane that was about to take off.
5: <laughs>
3: and um, in case you're wondering, there are people looking back at me from their plane. Steve,
1: you're Is- welcome.
2: Or the time we asked Grace Hall to shout into the phone after she was crowned the world's loudest shouter in 1976.
1: We'd like to hear your,
5: your yell. We're all forewarned now, so people can stand back from their radios. Yes.
1: W- would you like to do one for us? All right, my dear. All right, here we go. Ah! Ah! That was excellent
2: or the time we got Daniel Lapp on the horn to play his horn, which was a piece of kelp. You want
3: to play us out? Sure. Thank sure. you.
2: Here's, uh, some of you will recognize this. My first trip to Europe was with Spirit of the West. I'll attempt a bit of a Spirit of the West uh, anthem for you here. Well, Lulu Lotus joined the pantheon of guests who demonstrated their unique skill live on the radio for As It Happens. She's the new Guinness World Record holder for the loudest nose whistle, registering 44.1 decibels. And she doesn't just nose whistle loudly. She also nose whistles tenderly, like when she performs Speak Softly Love, better known as the theme from The Godfather. And in January, Neil asked Ms. Lotus for her nose whistling rendition of another iconic theme song.
3: You have a repertoire. There are other songs you do, but but there's only one song that's really important to us. And that's our that's our theme song. We did send it to you before. You haven't had a lot of time to practice, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to hear some. I'll I'll give it a try. I honestly it was a hard one to memorize if I had more time I could get it that was pretty good that was pretty good for just you you know an hour or so that that you that you had to pull that together how often are you doing this a day um honestly it's just it's so much fun for me to do I do it randomly throughout the day and when my sons were younger and they were babies instead of singing them lullabies (laughs) I would nose whistle lullabies to them (laughs) so how old are they now They're five and six, and my five-year-old, he can nose whistle, too, so I'm wondering if it's genetic or something. Is the six-year-old jealous, though? He Honestly, yes. He wishes he can do it, and I keep trying to teach him. I think one day maybe he'll get it, but I don't know. Maybe he'll find out he has a a special, unique skill uh, all his own. Do they enjoy it, though, or are they just like, Mom, can you just read me a book, sing me a regular lullaby? Uh, We do that too, but honestly, I think they think it's pretty cool, especially that I got into the, you know, the Guinness book of world records. Like they're, they're excited about that.
2: Lulu Lotus from Aurora, Ontario, speaking and nose whistling to Neil in January. Ms. Lotus's nose whistling version of the As It Happens theme song was impressive, especially considering how little time she had to prepare. But she was ready to hit the high notes at a moment's notice, like Jessica Daly. When Ms. Daly got a text message about a last-minute opportunity, she dropped everything and went the extra mile. Actually, 150 extra miles. Because the show must always go on.
3: Jessica, your phone didn't actually ring. It wasn't a phone call, but it did light up. Just before noon on Saturday with a text. What did that text say?
5: And that text did say, um, happy, well it said Happy New Year and it said, um, d- we're struggling here at the theatre for an uh, Eva Peron this evening, for this evening's show in Evita, and we're wondering if you're free to uh, hop in the car and come and help us in Leicester, which is crazy.
3: And h- how long did you have to make up your mind?
5: Um, not very long actually i kind of made my mind up immediately that i was going to um get in the car um i was in a bit of a shock for a bit um i did i have to i, w- I waited for my mum to come home she went to walk the dog <laughs> and i shouted when she came back in i said oh, mum i'm i've got to get in the car and i was in the car within like an hour <laughs> um with a fully packed suitcase ready to rock and roll um so yeah it was Almost immediately that I was like, this is happening. I'm going to do it.
3: And you live about three hours from the theater, we should mention.
5: Yes, I do live three hours away. Um, So I had to throw everything in the car and I hit the road and I got there at 4 p.m. on the afternoon. And then I was on stage by 7.45 p.m. in the evening. Curtain was at 8? 7.30, but um, because of rehearsal time, it kind of went over. They gave me an extra 15 minutes, which was... Very, very helpful to throw some makeup on my face and to make myself look presentable.
3: How generous. How generous. (laughs) You have played Evita professionally before, but it's been several years, about five years since you did that. And also, this is a different kind of production of Evita. The songs are obviously the same, the story is the same, but the staging is different. So how did you get yourself into that?
5: Oh, it was very, very different. I mean, I did the original um, Hal Prince production um, over in China, um, internationally for four months. Um, this production in Leicester is a more of a modern approach to things, um, kind of like she's a social media star. And then obviously I had created a version of her within one production, and then to go into a completely different production was really different. Um, and absolute kudos to the cast who adapted to me as much as I adapted to what they were offering so we were all kind of in it together in the end
3: It would be hard enough to to remember everything after five years have gone by, even though it's probably embedded in there in your, in your brain forever, but then to also have the numbers from the other production you're working on, so were you worried yeah. that you were going to slip? Um,
5: no, you know what I went into kind of this weird state of like, I will be doing this no matter what and I just I just, I just got on the train and I rode the train right until the end of the evening um, and I think everything just came so, so kind of like one tunnel ahead of me. I just got on the train and I, I went towards it and blocked out everything else that I possibly could. So yeah, it was it was just crazy. I can't quite get my head around it if I'm honest.
3: It sounds I like, I mean, you describe that focus. And yeah. and that drive, it sounds a lot like Avida, really, for anyone who's seen. She was pretty focused. Weirdly, you were possessed by her yeah. spirit.
5: Yeah, I mean, like, and again, like, she faked it until she made it. And I, <laughs> I was kind of in the same position. Well, I don't think you were faking like, it. You
3: had the goods. You just had to recall.
5: Yeah, I think you're right. Like, the determination of, of her and um, her willingness to
3: kind of succeed, um, I think that really came alive (laughs) in me on Saturday and so how did the performance go how did the audience react
5: oh my gosh I mean our the director Nikolai went out beforehand to kind of let everyone know exactly what was going on in the situation and from the get-go they were really supportive and really behind us and the theatre in Leicester is such a special place I've worked there quite a few times before and I've Interacted a lot with the audiences there and got to know quite a few people who live in the surrounding area And they're just so supportive. Some people found out that I was on and and bought tickets and I'm not even from that town Like they just showed up to support and you really felt that from the get-go and from the minute that I finished um, Obviously there's a big section at at the beginning and I got to the end of that and they burst into applause And I was like, oh yeah, they're with us. Okay, cool.
3: (laughs) I got them. I got them. Yeah
2: that was Jessica Daly speaking to Neil about answering the emergency call to play the lead in a staging of Evita in Leicester, England, which is about a three-hour drive from where she was in Middlesbrough. And for helpful reference, you would have to lay 630,081 theatre programs end-to-end due north to reach Leicester from Reading. What Ms. Daly did when she jumped in her car to save the Curve Theaters show that night was an example of selflessness. And people go selflessly above and beyond in big and small ways every day. For example, when Neil and I clean up after each other here in the studio. Sure, Neil does a, a bit more tidying than I do, but that's just because I make a lot of green juice smoothies that I find too gross to drink. So I leave the cup here on the table and then I forget about all that and I make another uh, green juice smoothie. But no one's keeping track because we're just being selfless. Our hearts are filled with generosity, like the heart of the Welsh tidy mouse. Here's Neil speaking to Rodney Holbrook about the mouse Mr. Holbrook caught on video tidying up his shed every night.
3: Before you set up this camera, Rodney, what did you notice? What kinds of things were being moved in your shed?
6: Well, the first thing that did happen is in that box that we, where you see on the video, I got the peanuts in there that I took out for the birds. And every every day I'll fill it back up again. And But I noticed one morning... I went in there, and there was none, no peanuts in there. And I thought, well, I put them out last night. So I, I filled it back up again, and the next morning, all the peanuts was gone again. I thought, well, what is going on here? <laughs> Where's the peanuts going? A few days later, I found uh, I got an old pair of shoes, which is in one of the drawers of my unit in the shed, and all the nuts was filled up in there inside the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, and yeah, was it just it, food um,
3: being moved, or did you see other things moved as yeah, well? No,
6: no, no. It was ju- it was just the peanuts. Okay. So what I done? I I filled it up again, and lo and behold, the next morning they, they wasn't taken. But I had lots of uh, items put in there, like nuts and screws and all sorts of things which you've seen on the video. But just covered <laughs> them over. So I thought I'm going to have to um, film this.
3: Okay, so you decide to set yeah. up the camera, and then I can imagine so I the anticipation.
6: The, the next day it was all full up again, so I took the camera down and it videoed about probably 60 videos. And, uh, well, you know, when I got them on my computer, and I come, and I thought, wow, 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 look at this. <laughs> and there's the uh, the mouse in there filling it up with these uh, items. So, oh, I was amazed, I was absolutely amazed, but. <laughs> just a single mouse on one of the videos there was a mouse I mean, in fact there was two ones but i only ever see the one mm. generally it's just the one i don't video every day i haven't videoed for a week now like but,
3: but now all the fans everyone calling you today want do they want more content they want more
6: videos <laughs> Something different, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wildlife man, so I don't really like setting things up in that way. I, I'd rather it be natural. So it's as natural as I can get it, really. It's become
3: part of the family now? Are you worried you're going to? You're, they're going to leave you, this mouse now? It's going to abandon
6: you? <laughs> well, they, they by all accounts, the wood mouse, that's what they're called, wood mouse, they, um, they only live about a year anyway, so... According to some expert, I don't know if that's true, but they told me they live about a year. So this time next year, it probably won't be in there. Oh,
3: it sounds like this mouse is like a fairy tale mouse. I remember watching Cinderella, the yeah, industrious little mice. Yeah, Or yeah, people have yeah, talked yeah. about yeah. Ratatouille. <laughs>
6: that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very much like him. What kinds
3: of what are oh. the, some of the other things that that it's moving around for you or for itself?
6: um a few things been added to the to me bench from a part of parts of the um the, the, the uh, parts of the um shed other places like i had some my wife had her um clothes pegs in there well he've moved some of them over to the table and you you see on the video he's um, putting them in the box yeah so we do carry a few things over but generally half of it is what was there already yeah. but i just sort of it needed somebody to tidy it up for me, and he's done it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're grateful yeah. to this little guy.
6: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was Rodney Holbrook speaking to Neil about the Welsh tidy mouse in January 2024. And that will bring us to the end of this special As It Happened podcast.
3: It was produced by John McGill, Devin Nguyen, and our technician, Reynold Gonzalez, with help from us, Austin Webb, Zian Eros, and the kind team over at CBC Radio Archives.
2: You can hear another special As It Happened podcast in this podcast feed at the end of next month.
3: And don't forget about our daily show, of course. You can catch it live every weeknight on CBC Radio 1. We also drop a podcast version of that here in this feed every night. I'm Neil Koksal.
2: And I'm Chris Howden.
1: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca podcasts.